You're listening to a podcast from Northern Lights Metropolitan Community Church. This is highlights from our weekly service. So welcome everybody. Uh, Northern Lights is an inclusive church where all are welcome. We gather around, not our table, but the Lord's table. You're very welcome, especially if it's your first time or you're new to Northern Lights. And a special welcome to those who are listening on the podcast. Everything you'll need for tonight's service will be on the screen at the front of the church. Please feel free to take part in as much or as little as you feel comfortable with. Tonight we begin a new theme, which will take us all the way up to Lent. The call to love. There's a reflection on the slides as we go through the service that you'll see it. And it says, love, genuine love, does not take the shape of a heart, but of a cross. As followers of Christ, we are asked to follow Jesus' example of love, to be the heart and his example of love, to be the heart of our lives and our actions We fail so many times. As we gather tonight around the Lord's table, let us celebrate his love for us. Ask for healing for our failures and the grace that our words and our deeds be reflections of God's love and mercy in a broken world. Let us pray. Lord, Help us follow your light today. Let your light be in all we say. Let your light be in all we do. Lord, let our heart reflect from you. Your holy love, your peace, your joy. Let our life shine for you, Lord. O Jesus, light of the world, my friend. Fill me with thy light and send our heart, our mind, and all our being into the world your light to bring, your truth in all you do through me for now and all eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. A reading from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 58 verses 5 to 10. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? This is the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. It is to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked, to clothe them 
and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and the Lord will say, Here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading is from Psalm 112, verses 4 to 7. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright. For those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. Surely, the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, written in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under the bushel basket but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works, and give glory to your Father in heaven. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Today our Gospel is very short, but along with the Beatitudes, it contains the core of the Christian message, and also it contains a challenge. Do we choose to be Christ's disciples, or do we choose to belong to a Christian club which coincidentally meets on a Sunday night? Our choice. But whatever our choice, God continues to love us passionately and enduringly, of course.
But there is a risk that we might be missing out on our true vocation if we choose the latter option. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be found pleasing in your sight, O God. Amen. On the Friday before last, John, my husband, and I decided to watch a couple of episodes of a programme on Netflix called Messiah, which had already been around for a while. The drama involved a character called Issa, which is the Muslim name for Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the prophet, uh, as they refer to him. But some people referred to him also as Al-Masiyah, which actually means false messiah. Now, this could actually prove to be the spoiler of the, the spoiler alert of the year so far. I don't know how it all turns out, so you may be ahead of me here. So far, our hero, who sports long hair, though no side locks, as would have been customary, a rough tunic, and admirable cheekbones. He has appeared from nowhere, gone fearlessly into war zones, gathered together a group of like-minded rebels, confronted the Israeli army, miraculously healed a child shot uh, who was shot on Temple Mount in Jerusalem, and he appears and disappears very much as our Lord Jesus does in the Gospel, um, when he often escaped from the crowds in order to be quiet and to pray. And this is only week two. Jesus is a very attractive figure, which makes him an obvious hero for Netflix to promote in such a series as this. Happily, whether or not Netflix's Messiah proves to be the real McCoy, as it were, their character, his character does have an element of truth uh, in his presentation. He is an activist. He doesn't just talk. In the media, and I fear in some churches, Jesus has been presented as not much more than, as somebody once described, a bit of a wimp in a frock. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild a passive figure who swanned around, curing the sick, being nice to people, and only in the later stages of his ministry, showing some muscle and scaring the authorities in Jerusalem into killing him. There's an awful lot of sentimental talk about Jesus and saccharine songs about a person they imagine, the person they want him to be, rather than face the uncomfortable truth of who he really was and is. The fact is that Jesus was actually quite tough in his behaviour and in what he said and what he expected of us. Bringing about the kingdom of God, a bit like growing old, believe me is not for wimps or sissies, but then I'm getting ahead of myself. At the beginning of the chapter from which our first reading comes, Isaiah tells us to shout out, do not hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet, 
Announce to my people their rebellion. Action. Isaiah is the prophet who told us most eloquently in preparation for Christmas that the Messiah would come and gave him titles which we read out in hushed tones. A child for us. A son given to us. Authority resting on his shoulders. Wonderful. Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. These titles don't sound wimpy to me. That he will be a light to the world. And just as importantly, we will share that light. We will share his light and become beacons to the world to guide the nations towards this Messiah who holds us and the entire world in his hands through the will of the Creator and the action of the Holy Spirit. Of course, Isaiah couldn't name him then. He didn't know that this Messiah of whom he spoke would bear the name Jesus. But when Jesus began his ministry in the world, it became clear that everything that he did and said fitted Isaiah's description, and the connection was made and has remained for us. Speaking to the people in around 700 BCE, Isaiah made it clear what is pleasing to God. And this very list would be reiterated by the man in first century Palestine who was beginning to fit the bill as described by Isaiah. So instructions to the people of God that we seek justice, we free the oppressed, we break the yoke which burdens the downtrodden, we share our bread, we clothe the naked. Sound familiar? Indeed, elsewhere in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, we hear Jesus laying down the ground rules for living a life which best reflects his own. He made it clear what the requirements are in order to call ourselves Christians. He cut through the sanctimoniousness, the hypocrisy, the mouthing pretty phrases, the false compliments, and rigid laws, and the doubters. And he told it like it was, and is. Do these things, and you can call yourself my followers. Fail to do them, when, when you've been given an opportunity to do so, is to be serving something or someone else, or maybe just ourselves. The writer of Psalm 112, probably written around 500 years before Jesus, tells us the same thing. So we find that what we are told about being God-living people is an enduring theme throughout the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. It is the heartbeat of the word of God. It's the drumbeat rousing us into action. But Isaiah and the psalmist 
The people and the rulers didn't listen. The kingdom did not come. Justice was not established, in spite of all the efforts of all the prophets who suffered mightily to pass on their message. So God had no option but to come to earth in the form of a man to live our life, to speak to us directly from within our own ranks. Jesus gathered to himself a group of fairly unprepossessing people, women and men, humble and willing, keen not only to learn about, but to be a part of the movement called The Way, which much later became the Christian Church. Israel, like the salt to which Jesus referred, had lost its willingness and its spirit and had got stuck at that point in the minutiae of laws and rules, which was stifling movement and development, and the ability to rethink what loving and obeying God actually meant. Jesus brought a new vision, but a stark one. But he had no intention of letting his teaching fall into the same old routines as the leaders of Israel had imposed upon the people up until then. His people were going to be the new salt for the world. In the same way, light was a metaphor for Israel and the law. But its failure to spread God's message beyond its borders left the followers of Jesus with the same task, to take the light to the whole world in Jesus' name, to be the Christ light to the nations. God is lighting a lamp by the means of the teaching which Jesus is giving to his disciples, so that the people that sat in darkness would see a great light. And for those who sat in the shadow of death, light had dawned. But this light will be seen, however, not so much in the words spoken by the disciples on their eventual travels, but by their actions, by the manner in which they live, by their good works. As Jesus said, by doing the will of my Father who is in heaven, by the way in which they respond to the teaching throughout the ages from the prophets and from Jesus, the true Messiah. We live in an age where many people want their five minutes of fame. They want the limelight. Fair enough. They long for light to be cast upon them so that they shine, wanting to be admired, wanting to be important, or more probably, to be more relevant. And there's a superabundance of opportunity to satisfy the Instagrammers, the red carpet Oscar hopefuls, online influencers, and some of them achieve this. But the difference between these people and Christians is simple. They need the light to shine upon them. 
Christians who live according to Jesus' commands have the light shining from them. And that, in the end, is what bearing the Christ light means. Christ is our light, and we carry him into every situation we encounter. But Jesus warns us that this may not be enough to alert the world. We may be required to put our light in a place where everyone can see it, and for some people that's very hard. To announce clearly so that all can see whose light we are carrying, and not to be ashamed to be so exposed. I have a friend called Phil, Philip, a humble and God-loving man who's 84 years old and looks as though he wouldn't say boo to a goose. But Phil decided that someone had to make a stand And in addition to his other good works, of which there are many, but you wouldn't know because he's so quiet about them, last year he was taken into custody for being a member of Extinction Rebellion and for gluing himself to the top, to the roof of a train in London and sitting there eating his sandwiches and quietly praying until the police unglued him and brought him down. Now that's witness. We may not feel called to do likewise. But when the cause of justice, poverty, homelessness, and correcting social ills grips us, we may find ourselves having to make that crucial decision. Are we for Jesus and the kingdom? Or are we part-time Christians? The famous writer of The Colour Purple, by um, Alice Walker, said that activism is the rent I pay for living in this beautiful world. If we truly believe what we say we believe, then we cannot be Christians only in our heads. I will have to wait and see how Netflix's Messiah solves this dilemma. But the real Jesus was quite clear, and his actions matched his words. By acting likewise, and allowing Christ's light to shine in us, we will grow ever closer to God, and this will bring forth from us the radiant light the love light, which will shine from us all, better than on any lampstand. And the salt of us will be full strength and full of a flavour that will never diminish. All glory to you, creator of all. Jesus the Christ and Spirit of life, as in the beginning is today and for eternity. Amen.
As Judith's just been talking about a light to the world, our theme for tonight, I'd like to read this prayer, which reflects on what our Sunday theme is all about and how we can all be a light to the world. You are a light to the world, once in the night, but brought into the light, once dead, but made alive, once in the darkness, but brought into his brightness. You are the light of the world, enlightened and illuminated by the light, the way, the truth, and the life. Made the hands and feet of the Most High, made his voice in the wilderness, his ambassador. You are the light of the world, a city on a hill. Call to call others who sit in darkness. Call to point others to the cross. Call to shine in the darkness. Call to be co-workers with God. Call to lay down your life for others. Called to be a bridge for others to cross to God. Called to carry your cross and die on it. You are the light of the world, a citizen of heaven, redeemed from the curse of the law. Blood bought, blood kept. A vessel of honour, a masterpiece, created for good works, created to leave a legacy for eternity, created to give praise, honour and glory to your maker. You are the light of the world, created to be a heavenly deposit on earth, called to produce a mammoth yield, called to result in a great dividend, born to be a breath of fresh air, born to blossom like a flower, unfurling and unfolding your beauty daily, oozing your fragrance everywhere, wafting songs, making music. You are the light of the world, called to be full of the word, delighting in the word, armed with the word, saturated with the word, adored with the word, directed, counselled by the word, fueled and propelled by the word, feeding frequently on the word. You are the light of the world, shine in the darkness, giving glory to the God of glory. You are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Amen. We as a church community pray every week for those who are suffering. One of the ways we do this is by lighting the AIDS candle to remember those affected by HIV and AIDS. So again, I'm going to ask Judith to come up and light the candle and pray that medication 
and continuous scientific research will help find an answer to stop the spread of HIV and AIDS. Around the world, many people are suffering through poverty, famine, and threatening wars and atrocities. We pray that God will heal their suffering through God's power and God's love, care and concern for those people. We especially pray for the people of China who are affected by the coronavirus, and we pray for an immediate cure soon so that the disease does not spread to other parts of the world. We pray, we pray also for the suffering, for those suffering that this virus is having on those who have come into contact with it recently. And we also pray for people, which is mentioned in our prayer book at the front, that God will answer whatever prayer that has been asked for. And now let us say together the Lord's Prayer, which is displayed on the screen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. Let's say the grace together. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and then. Amen. Go with the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about what we do, you can find us on social media or visit our website, northernlightsmcc.org.uk.